Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for all that you give us. We're grateful even for the decaying aspects of life. You've even made those beautiful in their time. We'd ask that you would open the word to us this morning. In your son's name, amen. Just realizing I didn't spell out the name of the book at the top, just the abbreviation, so it looks like a tax form. Easy, 18.1. It's Ezekiel. In case you were wondering what easy was. Um, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and we've been in a number of conversations in recent days where the subject, some of the subjects addressed in Ezekiel 18, uh, come up. But to tie it in with uh, what you've heard me say before, you know, I've been a little bit New Covenant-y the last few weeks, and I'm sorry. But uh, I'm sorry, really. I know you don't prefer the New Covenant. I know that people like the old. I'll try to stay away from it. Uh, it's not going to happen, but I'll try to stay away. But I have another passage I always quote out of Proverbs 9, here on the left-hand side. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. That's a great, great piece of information. It's not directly on top of what we're saying, but I wanted, I wanted that note. This is Solomon, that, you know, 970 B.C., um, saying uh, something very, very individual. Your wisdom is for you. And we, a lot of us run around thinking our wisdom is precisely for everybody else. And that's why, that's what makes the internet great. We're going to give our wisdom to everyone else. Now, prove that you have a working wisdom. Minimally, before you open your mouth. Your wisdom is for you. It's for fixing your life. And so is folly. Your folly is for you. So I don't want you to think that in antiquity, because we're stepping into Ezekiel after this, that's even about the 500-year jump from Solomon to Ezekiel. Um, the individualism is not a crime. Uh, corporatism or uh, thinking in you know, communities of people is not better than individualism. Sometimes we think about the modern secular mind as too individualistic. Or capitalism is too individualistic. People like it takes a village. People like those sorts of things. This is an ultimate question that is always present philosophically. And I want you to see what Ezekiel and God through Ezekiel says about it in certain areas. Because it's important... It's important that you have a theology. Now, here, we're in this church, we don't check your theology. So these things are being offered for you to shape your theology to where it's closest to what, the God, what God wants out of you. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you mean by repeating this proverb? That's almost... I love it when, when, the, when the prophet gets a little, uh, what do you mean? 
had a friend who was in a situation last night, came over to my house afterwards, and he was just sort of, it was a weird social situation he had been in. And so I encouraged him to email the person and says, what in the world were you thinking? It was strange, something strange. I won't go into it. But Ezekiel asked the same question. What do you mean? What do you mean, one, and two, what do you mean by repeating this? Because some kind, sometimes there are wisdoms, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? Um, cleanliness is next to godliness. Those are proverbs. They're not in the Bible, but they're proverbial. And we tell them to people as truisms or um, uh, the Lord Acton's rule, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So when you repeat a proverb, you had better know what you mean when you say it, and then what you mean by evangelizing with it. Okay? Convincing other, repeating it. Keep saying it. Because something, when, when something reaches that level in you, it has become part of your, the eyes you look out at, at the world through. You're looking at the world with this proverb adjusting how you think. Look at the proverb concerning the land of Israel. Quote, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You go, okay, I've never heard that proverb. Well, back in the 500s BC, they were forbidden to say it anymore. But we had one similar. You, you, you've, uh, maybe you've been in rambunctious, maybe my generation, but I'm going to clobber you so hard your grandchildren are going to be born with knots on their head. Okay, some, some variant of that. I'm going to hit you so hard your grandchildren are going to flinch. So what do we mean? That's the same thing as this. The fa fathers eat sour grapes and the kids get, puck the kids get puckered up. And Ezekiel says, don't say that anymore. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. So, it's, it, in other words, it's wrong. It's incorrect. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't mean it. You shouldn't repeat it. So the next line on your notes there says, quit it. Knock it off. You say, well, I wasn't using that proverb. Don't use that idea. Don't make another proverb that replaces it that suggests you think it's true. Now, why should you not say that a father eats sour grapes and a children's teeth are set on edge? The reason is they're using this metaphor to illustrate punishment going to the next generation. That's what they're illustrating. Now, um, it's not true. It's not what you should believe. He says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul that sins shall die. He says, don't say this, that you've got generational 
punishment for crimes committed by a generation above you. I don't think that way, says the Lord. Now, how could you not think that way? We're pretty comfortable with those sorts of things. We almost use, we use Bible passages to mean that, even if the Bible passage wasn't talking about that. Ever hear the passage, passage uh, uh, the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and the fourth generation? Well, that's also true, but it's not true in this way. Because this says you may not think that generation two and three and four are being punished for father's sins. Now, part of our problem is there are ultimate Christian theologies that actually say opposite this. I don't know how much they're believed here. I imagine to a certain degree. You've heard of the doctrine of original sin. It means that you're born guilty. In Catholic terms, you're born guilty of Adam's sin. You come out of the chute, guilty. Don't say that anymore. The soul that sins shall die. Now, what does that mean? Philosophically, what does that mean? That means sin reposes in the causal agent. And since the causal agent is not generational, there's no magical federal connection between you and Adam, or you and your dad, that says you're guilty for what he did, because guilt can only be assigned by causality. You did it. Sin is what you did. If a man is righteous and does what is lawful and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains... It's not about hiking, by the way. It's going up to the high places. Or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. Does not defile his neighbor's wife. Or approach a woman in her time of impurity. Does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge. Commits no robbery. Gives his bread to the hungry. If there's anyone you're unclear about, just raise your hand. What's that? No, no chasing the ladies. Um, restores to the debtor his pledge, commits the robber, gives his bread to the hungry, covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any increase. Wow, that's a little... Our whole country is based on that. All of us with student debt, paying off somebody who lent us at, in, at interest and is taking an increase. Well, we're not going to talk about whether or not they're righteous. We're just going to say the taking of interest would be the, like when restitution was made in Israel for a theft, you added 20% because of the loss of use in the time of the theft. You know, which a cat piece of cattle uh, would, would have made fruitful more cattle. Increase is profit. I'm learning to lend at interest and make a profit on it, not just catch up to the the state of money I lost. Withholds his hand from iniquity, excludes, executes true justice between man and man. I want you to just remember that phrase, executes true justice, because this passage all the way down to the bottom is on the nature of justice. You have to be, one of the things that is righteous is being able to execute a measure what is, who deserves the punishment, who deserves the reward. This person, walks in his statutes, 
is careful to observe my ordinances. He is righteous. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. He did what was good. Here's a list of good. He did it. First John says, uh, He who does right is righteous. Okay? You don't get to... And sometimes with grace in Christianity, people are so confident in their uh, righteousness by imputation. You know, I confessed my sin and God forgave me. And they kind of think it was kind of popular to be, you know, doubting and broken. We don't want you to be doubting and broken. We know what you believe because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You have to be sure. That's what faith is. You don't get to run around being doubting and you can't be broken. You've got to get that fixed. You either get forgiven or you do it right. But righteousness is doing that which is right. And righteousness has its fruit. Like wisdom, you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you're righteous, you are righteous for yourself and you shall live. The living shall be apportioned to you for having been righteous. If you are wise, it will be apportioned to you the results of that wisdom. You shall benefit. Sin and holiness and righteousness is all about what you have done. Not your group of friends. Not your generation. We label generations almost like we name people. Everybody's, you know, generation X or whatever. I don't know what I am. A baby boom. That's right. That's right. That's our name. You are you. Are you righteous? Are you one of these? There are other lists also in the scriptures. We looked at one in Galatians a few weeks ago. Fruit of the Spirit. If you do that, if you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, no worshiping idols on the mountains, no chasing after your neighbor's wife, covering the naked, helping the oppressed, being just, these are all things that you actually did. Look at verse 10. If he begets a son. Now this whole passage is the structure of why God has told Ezekiel, don't say that. About the sin connection between you and another generation. Because the soul that sins shall die. The righteous shall live by his righteousness. Verse 10, if he begets a son who is a robber. So this righteous guy has a son who's a thief, a shedder of blood, who does none of these duties, who eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and the needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends at interest, and takes an increase. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominable things. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Oh. He sets up. Okay, I, Just like I said, you shouldn't think generational passage of sin and guilt. I'm going to illustrate it by describing a righteous man who has an unrighteous son. And then he describes, because sometimes when that happens, we're fine with, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, somebody has an unrighteous son, they should live in the, the effects of their sin. But then we want to pick up third and fourth generation. We want to see the punishment fall on the generations after the wicked man. But then it says, verse 14. But if this man begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and fears and does not do likewise, 
who does not eat upon the mountains nor lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not wrong anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or increase, that keeps coming up, um, observes my ordinances, walks in my statutes, he shall not die for his father's iniquity, he shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. You got it? You die for your sins, you live for your righteousness. But we have all sorts of floaty doctrines that make us feel a little bit better about the punishment of the wicked down through generations. Or the connection of the righteous. Some people would claim that, that I can get in with a connected bit of good at some point and it will just flow down to me. I'm sure there are historic benefits. If your parents are godly Christians, you're going to get godly Christian information. That's historic benefit. But what you do with what you know, what your decision is for you, because the righteous man can have a robber for a son and the robber can have a righteous man for a son. And God's mind is, I'm reading what you did. And the Jews were thinking the same way. Verse 19, yet you say, and now I don't know if you were going to say the same thing they're saying, but I want you to know that you might be tempted to say something. You might be tempted to express um, some kind of objection to Ezekiel's thinking on this. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? Why, why not? Because in, you've heard of the Middle East, difficult place these days. You know why? It's always been a difficult place. Because, all the way back to the law of Moses, what did you see? You see it with Hammurabi. You see blood feud mentalities. It's the Chicago way, right? Out of the untouchables, what was the lie? They send one of your guys to the hospital, you send two of theirs to the morgue. You just up the ante, right? And they understood and felt this desire that, yeah, that's a sure way to ruin their efforts is to make sure that their descendants suffered. It's a natural thought in man. Hurt the descendants. Some people think it's more painful that you'd hurt, like when Noah curses Canaan for Ham's sin. Ever weird you out about that? Cursed Canaan for Ham's sin. Well, Canaan was Ham's son. Canaan would feel it, that his son had become a slave to Japheth and, and Shem. Why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son, that's the end of the quote, when the son has done what is lawful and right, has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live, says God. You said, well, why not punish him? Well, God's saying, well, he might be good himself. Verse 20, the soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. 
What can you say? Sin's guilt is not generational. It is unjust to think that. Because it would be, why? Because there might be a struggle over this. Well, it's not true. God wouldn't do it because the agent who sins should get punished. And the agent who sins, actual causation. We were talking about this, about how much control the parents have over the spiritual lives of the child. Here you have an illustration of a good man producing a robber and a robber producing a good man. There are things we can put into people's lives, but actual causality, the generation you're in, you chose what you do. That's the nature of the self, that you choose what's important to you, what you care about. God doesn't do this way because that would not be just. It would be non-just to condemn the non-causal. And, another thing you learn from this, that there is a reward for the righteous. Life. It's not just how do we you know, dodge the punishment. How do we get the good? Righteousness gets rewarded. Justice is not just punishing. Who do you punish? Who, what is the right response to the right to which act? If I am causal to good, God gives life. If I am causal to wickedness, God will kill you. Now we're not going to talk about what kind of death this is. We know in, in Adam and Eve it was spiritual death. And we know in Romans 5 and Romans uh, 7 it's spiritual death. But in some ways it has physical death is sometimes a uh, you might say the collateral shadow cast by spiritual death when you live a certain way. The righteous die at the hand of wicked men all the time. The fact that just shows that it's collateral, it's not the actual punishment. But sometimes your actual destruction, physical destruction, removal from the earth is what is the collateral shadow cast by your spiritual death. The soul that sins shall die. Now, once you get to this point, um, You've pretty much destroyed sort of Augustine's notion of original sin. Which, again, the Catholic notion of original sin is that you're born guilty of Adam's sin. Now, I don't know, Christian and modern Protestants have a variety of views, it's not the Catholic view, but look at your own view. Look at your theology. You say, do I hold that? I mean, this is a long passage that tells me God is not, does not handle justice that way. The question is, how do you? Not only does he not handle it that way, he's muscling his way into your thinking process and says, don't think that, knock it off. What are you repeating that for? What do you mean by this? How can you accuse me of failing to be just? Because that's what ends up being. If you have a different standard than God, you're accusing God of failing. And then you do it later in the passage. Um, down in verse 29, I don't mean to jump to this, but yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. That's what you end up saying if you have a different standard than this. So spend some time thinking about whether you believe that sin is only individual. And on the last day, we are not judged, you might say, for what this group did or what that group did. 
You either did something wrong, maybe with other people, but you did it. What level of good, what level of holiness, what level of sin? But that's not all. Verse 21. But if a wicked man, we had generations, good man, wicked man, good man. And he says, let's get a little bit more nuanced here. But if a wicked man turns away from his sins which he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him for the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the Lord God? And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. But when a righteous man, okay, he's, this, this passage does not let us up. He keeps coming back. And let me talk about it from the other side in case you're slow, you know, uh, on the short bus about this. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does the same abominable things that the wicked man does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds which he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. What did you just learn about the justice of God? One, it's your fault. It's your gain, it's your fault. You live in your righteousness, you die in your sin. Two, it's not generational. Don't blame your parents. There's all sorts of ways of doing it. You could do it theologically, you could do it psychologically. You could say it's the nature of the nuclear family in America, blah, blah, blah. My parents grew, raised me in poverty. No, you don't get to do any of it. Those things happen. They have effects, but none of them necessitate you be wicked. None of them will make you be righteous. Now, what else can you say? Direction matters. Now we know it's direction because he gives you two examples. Wicked guy realizes he's wicked. That was most of us. Oh, that was all of us. Wicked guy, wicked woman, realizes the degree of sin and he repents of his sin and turns to God. God says, yeah, I like that. He shall surely live. And the reverse is also true. In case you were thinking that God's justice, and some of the Jews may have been thinking that, oh, it sounds like he's just weighing one against the other. How many good deeds you did, how many bad deeds you did. And a lot of people think that way. They, they, they sent up a storm on a Friday night, off to Mass on Sunday morning. Got to do my confession, my penance, do my Hail Marys. Do some good things, help a poor person. That's not what the story is. Because if I were to weigh the unrighteous man who becomes righteous and the righteous man who becomes unrighteous, it would seem like those two weigh out the same. What it really is, is which direction are you going? Because a man going away from righteousness, it doesn't matter if his righteousness weighed the same as his unrighteousness or even weighed the same as the, right, the recent righteousness of the wicked man. 
It's a matter of which way they're going. God is going to help the wicked man becoming righteous live, and he's going to, he's going to kill the righteous man becoming wicked. So it's not generational. It's directional and not way. Which way are you going in your life? Do you take 100% of the responsibility for who you are? Oh, I know, we've all had effects in it. We will be judged for what, how we affect others, but the effect in you is, rests entirely in your decision. And this passage lets you know that decision is a cause, not just a phenomenal moment that you went through. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, my way is not just. Is it not your ways that are not just? So if you, if you read through the passage, you realize that God himself is setting up this tussle with the Jews to say, okay, what you're thinking is wrong. You say what I'm thinking is wrong. You are saying how I deal with it is unjust. I'm saying how you deal with it is unjust. So the question is, in your theology, Is there sin all your own? Is the decision all your own in your theology? Is there, does your God, one of grace, hope, and victory, that's what, he's looking at the situation and goes, it's not just having a direction, it's not just you're going someplace, because the righteous to the unrighteous is going someplace, just not going where God wants him. If God wants you to become righteous, he's happy to take the ungodly. It's that great passage in Corinthians uh, 6, I think it is. Uh, I happen to be, have it here open for some reason. A list of bunch of sins. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? list of sins, like the ones here in Ezekiel. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Christianity is not just localizing guilt, localizing credit. It's not just realizing generationally or inside your own life directionally. And it's not just that the decision rested on you. But you have to have a positive view. Your theology has to be, God forgives. I was talking to somebody who was having a hard time. Well, when you always just heard of somebody. Yeah, I think I was that. Hard, hard time accepting the forgiveness of God. They were, they were still beating themselves up over crimes committed. Yeah, this, is a, this is a religion of grace. This is a religion of hope. This is a religion of victory. And God is there standing there for the victorious. And he's willing to argue with you if you hold a different theology about justice. Now, when a righteous man, verse 26, turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die for it. For the iniquity which he has committed, he shall die. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he shall save his life, verse 28, because he considered. What does that mean? Oh, it's in red. It must be important. He considered. Looking around him, he thought about the nature of his actions. 
He knows you should get what you deserve. He knows where deserving is. <coughs> he considered and turned away. That's where he's repented. Of all the transgressions which he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. God considers your considering. Which, what did you conclude? Because what if you had some dystopian movie where you were grabbing people off the streets, giving them some sort of lobotomies, or making Stepford wives out of all the women, you know, that the, they're turned into, you know, Christian women, uh, turned into placid, serving-oriented, lovely, you know, nice ironed, uh, you know, uh, cotton skirts. Wouldn't that be great? Now, what would be wrong with a Stepford wife situation? You can't credit the Stepford wife for being good. There's all this talk about, you know, robots. You've heard of robots? You're young people. You are, you're probably robots already. And so what's the problem with robots? You'd like to pretend that they know. You'd like to pretend that they are doing something actually ethical, good. But they're not. When the girl was a movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix called She or Her, what was it called? Her. He falls in love with his phone, the, the voice on it, because it's the future, you know, and she has an actual relationship emotionally with him. Of course, she's also in love with 500 other dudes. Because she doesn't know the difference. She's just in love with them. Well, you, you stop and say, you know, scratch, scratch, scratch. I don't really understand what's going on here. Maybe I should go back to Ezekiel and learn what justice considers. And consideration is one of the things justice considers. Did you repent? Did you decide? Is your decision part of who you are? That you were moved toward righteousness from wickedness, you were removed, you were moved away from ungodliness, you sought it. And yet the house of Israel says, verse 29. The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Verse 30, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. This is the way it's going to be. Okay, you don't, don't say this anymore. This is the way I am. This is the way it's going to be. I don't care if you disagree theologically. This is what's going to happen. I don't know if you ever realized that about theology. God doesn't remake the world to function according to your theology. It actually functions according to what the true theology is. It functions according to what you have been what you've really done in the phenomenal moment before God, what is really actually objectively out there. It'd kind of be nice if you'd let all the determinists be, have determined lives and all the free will people have free will lives, but I don't think that could work. He's going to do it his way. I'm going to judge people according to their ways. So, 
since I consider your consideration as one of the causes of righteousness, repent and turn away. Because that's what it said back in 28. He considered and turned away. So you repent and turn away from all your transgressions, lest your iniquity be your ruin. You have this opportunity to have the justice of God actually consider something good of you. Now you say, okay, this, apart from, you know, where the blame rests, I got all that. It's not generational, it's directional, it's decisional. But doesn't this all look like works righteousness to you? It is 587 B.C., 597 B.C., 587, 587 B.C. So it's, it's Old Covenant, they're talking this way. And we know from looking at portions of the Old Testament uh, that it pointed to the righteousness that is um, um, the righteousness that is av- av- available to us in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Is this pointing us that way too? You said, you said you'd stay away from the New Covenant. Okay. I lied. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed against me. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. So turn and live. So the... The advice of the Lord in Ezekiel at 587 B.C. is the same advice that you would be given here. This is the justice. You will be rewarded for holiness. You will be damned for unholiness. You had better make some considerations. Choose, how do I get there? I have to consider. But what I have to consider is how to get a new heart and how to get a new spirit. You say, are you maybe overreaching on the meaning of those? Maybe. But I have over here on the left-hand side out of Jeremiah 31. In those days, this is like within six months of this passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's in Babylon prophesying against the Jews uh, as the uh, Babylonians are laying siege, or just before they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. So he's with the exiles. Jeremiah has been left behind in Israel. Same time they they knew of each other. Um, He is, in this passage, right before the siege, also, of Nebuchadnezzar against the city of Jerusalem. And he says this in chapter 31. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Huh. What's his opinion about that proverb? But everyone shall die for his own sin. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. He goes straight to the, the, uh, the metaphor. He goes straight to the, um, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get puckered up for eating sour grapes. Within like half a year of Ezekiel set prophesying on the same proverb, hundreds of miles apart, They're prophesying the same thing. And Ezekiel says, I want you to understand what the justice of God is like. This is what the problem is. This is how I function. This is what you're facing. You better find a way to righteousness. 
You're either going to be it, or you're going to leave unrighteousness for righteousness, and you're going to find it with a new heart and a new spirit. That's what you better be doing, because I don't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I will kill the wicked. So, why did I bring up this Jeremiah passage? Well, he's talking about the same proverb with the same answer. And he's doing it in Jeremiah 31, and I put Jeremiah 31, 29, and 30 there, and then Jeremiah 31, 31, which is the famous verse prophesying the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So Jeremiah just says, okay, let's take a look at that passage too. Let's walk it right into the New Covenant. I'll even prophesy the New Covenant. That is quoted in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews as being the key element. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah are functioning on the same concerns that the religious of their people had developed philosophies about God and judgment and justice that you can look through Christian history and see all sorts of claims that move accountability away from you minimize the decision you make or insist that you not speak that much of the decision you make, right? Because that's called faith, though. Or have views about God rewarding us? Well, how can that be? We're but worms and no men. Find yourselves a new heart. Now, I want to encourage you, the reason I've been talking a lot about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is because I want you as believers, you can go to different churches, you can have different fellowships, you have different Bible studies you go to, you know a lot of believers here in town. Uh, you're going to go out in your life and, and meet new believers in different places. I want you to be thinking about Christianity the way Christianity and your God is, not the way the institutions have offered it up to you. You've been to an Old Country Buffet, haven't you? They offer you a lot. It looks like food. Right? Sometimes it looks like a lot of food and it looks pretty good. I mean, I'm not, don't know if I'm insulting anybody here. I like Old Country Buffet. That's what the church has done. It has taken, dressed this up, made it look like it's a shadow cast by Christ. You don't want the shadow cast by Christ. You want your God, the way he views things, having worked in you to make these good things by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want the life you have to be the result of the life you deserve from your God, that you have considered, you have repented, you have turned to him, he has healed you, made you righteous. You are then performing righteousness. You say, what do you mean I have to perform righteousness? To no, but faith without works is dead, and in... 1 John 3, it says, By this it may be seen who are the children of God, and who are children of the devil. Just like life and death, right? Who gets life, who gets death, who is of God, who is of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. So you have this task on you. God is looking at righteousness. The new covenant is there to make righteousness in you, to allow your consideration and your repentance by faith to have an effect of a new heart and a new spirit. And it makes you not serve the idols on the mountains. 
Not run off with your neighbor's wife. Honor your pledges. It makes you a good person. And that's how you're supposed to be looking at the other believers. Are you looking for the good people? Not, are you looking for a church that holds your theology? Tragically, and I've had this experience enough times, there's some of the worst. Makes me want to reconsider my theology sometimes, but look for good people. It'd be better for you to be in a fellowship you didn't agree with if you knew the people were righteous, as he is righteous. Not that they had programs of righteousness. You know the difference, right? Don't have a program to feed the starving in Darfur. But people are good. That's what God awards. That's what God gives life to. And our life together ought to be based on us awarding that in each other as well. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Keep us thinking of what is true justice what matters before you, so that we would be living our lives and seeking your Son and your Holy Spirit in such a way that we'd be made righteous, pleasing to you, that you would give us life, that our wisdom would be for ourselves and we would rejoice in the good that you've provided. Help us, help each other, help us turn away from that which is wicked. In your Son's name, amen.